Good morning and welcome. What a beautiful day. I'm going to invite you to take a deep breath if you so choose. And as you let that breath out, just relax into this moment. Let us continue to build on this beautiful energy that the musicians have so wonderfully orchestrated. It creates a field of grace. So let us imagine and call forth in our awareness a field of grace, which is that vibration of the Most High. And it is so rich and wonderful, and in all the beautiful qualities. And what it is, is us. It is us. It is the beauty of that. And so I honor that. I bless that. I feel so fortunate to be with you today. I stand in such tremendous gratitude for this teaching and this community, all of my teachers that keep showing up in my life. So as we share our song and our prayer, let us set the intention of availability and openness, surrendering to that power and presence of the infinite within and without. And as we breathe in, let us remind ourselves that each breath is a blessing. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. And so I invite you to know with me in this moment, one life. God's life. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. And I, as I say these words, I move out of announcing and declaring into that sweetness of welcome and opening and understanding that I do nothing, nothing in my life without spirit, without source. And so everywhere I look today is God's blessing in people, in babies, in generosity, in joy, in areas of, on this planet where a, an ancient resentment has become a present-day love. I give thanks for the dark and the light. I give thanks for the sorrow that has helped me appreciate all the joy. I give thanks for spiritual practice in my life that has allowed me to identify more quickly when I'm not living my best life, when I'm not showing up and sharing my gifts from a generous heart, from the expectancy and standing in the possibility and the passion of, of the potentiality of this life. But I am so grateful for everything that has brought me to that awareness. All of it is a gift. All of it is God. Let us know that whatever it is, I know whatever it is for me, and knowing this for you as well in the I am, that whatever there is for me to know this day, I am open and available to it as I... I bask in this field of grace with you. For this I give thanks, and together we say, so it is. 
Thank you, Brown. So we have a new uh, Facebook page. We're on a mission. If you haven't signed on to the Center for Spiritual Living Edmonton Facebook page, please do so. Go there and just sign up. And It's a really neat way to stay in touch and find out what's going on. Our other mission is that, that, that Kelowna is way ahead of us, a couple years ahead of us, and they've got like 300. Well, in three weeks, without promoting it all, we're up to 130 already. So we just want to pass them up and see them in the rearview mirror Facebook-wise, if you know what I mean. Not because we don't love them, but we do, we do love them. So today, we're, we're still uh, in the midst of this wonderful book. And you know, uh, Norm McLeod said to me today, and we were in the copier room together, and he said, I said, I love this book. He said, you love every book. And I said, you're right. I fall in love with every book I get my hands on. The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And it's a wonder, wonderful book, wonderful story, just an amazing woman. And today, we, last week, we talked about uh, sufficiency, the consciousness of sufficiency. Our theme this year is the art and heart of abundant living. And the art and heart of abundant living, I think it's just such a wonderful idea of sufficiency. And what does that mean? And so I wanted to share with you the three truths that Lynn articulates in terms of the sufficiency, the three truths. Number one, money is like water. Number two, what you appreciate, appreciates. And number three, collaboration creates prosperity. And she tells a story early on in the book or in, the, in this chapter. She, she receives a call. She works for the World Hunger Project. And so the World Hunger Project has been around a long time, and she wrote this book back in the 90s, I'm pretty sure. And she talks about a company. She got a call from a company in Chicago, and she went there, and they had had a, um, a public relations disaster with some product that they sold. Something happened. And so in order to sort of clean up their image and make, do some damage control, they decided that they would bring in the, the Hunger Project, and they would give them a big donation as part of, you know, sprucing up their image. And so she describes going to Chicago, and she took a series of elevators up to the tall, one of the tallest buildings in Chicago. And she said the higher she went, it just got stranger and stranger and stranger. And finally she got to the top floor, and she went in to see the president, and he's sitting back in the corner. And she comes in, and, and she said it was very awkward. It was obvious that there was no sense of joy or, or generosity of spirit involved with this. It was just simply a $50,000 check. Here you go. And he slid it across the table to her, and she took it, and she put it in her briefcase. And she thought it was such an interesting. And then she slowly descended out of the heavens to the back down to earth. And she got on a plane and she flew directly to Harlem, New York, where she was doing uh, a, a talk. And she thought, this is kind of strange. I go from the op opulence of this to Harlem, New York, where she was doing a presentation to a group of people within Harlem to help raise money for world hunger. And the interesting thing she said is most of the people in Harlem don't have a whole lot. So she got up and she did her presentation and she finished and she said there was a woman sitting there by the name of Gertrude. She was in the back and she said, Gertrude stood up. She said, girl, because she didn't know what was going to happen. She'd done the presentation and there was just silence. And she said, Gertrude stood up and said, girl, I like what you said and I like you. And she said, now I ain't got no checkbook and I ain't got no credit cards. To me, money is a lot like water. For some folks, it rushes through their lives like a raging river, and money comes through my life like a little trickle. She said, but I want to pass it on in a way that does the most good for the most folks. I see that as my right and as my responsibility, and it is also my joy. I have $50 in my purse that I earned from doing a white woman's wash, and I want to give it to you. And so she walked up to Center Island, she gave her the $50, and she said she was peeling it off. It was ones and fives and tens, and she just, Lynn Twist just started to cry. 
And so these people start, started, <coughs> excuse me, getting up and walking up to give her money. $5 here, $5 there. And she said she couldn't hold all that. She was crying and she couldn't hold all the money that was coming. So what she did is she opened up her briefcase and she started to put it in the briefcase. And she said at the end of all of it, it was about $500 in cash. It was everything these people had with them. And she said she looked down and at the bottom of this $500 of cash was a $50,000 check. And she, she, she thought, isn't this interesting and ironic? And what she said about the experience for her, she said, the money that I received from Gertrude and all the other people carried an energy of her commitment to make a difference, the stamp of her soul. And as I accepted the, as I accepted the money, I felt inspired by her, renewed by her expression of integrity and purpose. I felt my organization's principles and programs affirmed not only by her $50, but also by her contribution of spirit. Gertrude's money had come from the soul and not from a bank account intended to ease guilt or buy admiration. She set that standard for everyone in the room that night, and I felt that money she gave was blessed money. The precise amount of the money and how much it would buy was secondary to the power of the money as it moved with purpose, intention, and soulful energy in the act of contribution. Such a powerful, wonderful story. She said, Gertrude taught me that the powers of money is really derived from the intention we give it and the integrity with which we direct it into the world. Gertrude's gift was great and her clarity helped me regain, regain my own. There's teachers always in our lives. People show up, the blessings, the blessings in our lives. Just such an amazing thing. People show up. And, and whenever, the, whenever we're ready, and sometimes we miss it and they come back. Have you ever noticed that? We get the, they keep showing up until we finally get the lesson. She said, the next day I mailed back the $50,000 check to the company. And she said, I was relieved to feel I was returning the guilt and shame that it carried with it. Because she could understand the energy around it, this sense of obligation. I felt unburdened. With the check, I sent a letter suggesting that the CEO choose an organization they felt committed to and thanked him for considering us. I didn't hear back from the CEO at the time, but she did years later. The point is she just knew that the energy around that gift was not what they stood for. It was not what, what they were aligning with in our lives. And it really is, when we're grounded in sufficiency, when we understand what our source is, and it's difficult to do that at times because we forget we go out in the world, and, 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 and for all of us, it looks like there might not be enough. You know, we're having our AGM today, and I know that Reverend Connie asked you about uh, signing a proxy, if you're a member. It's interesting. We've had the, the best year we've had since I've been here, and our membership goes down. I don't understand. And, and for me, what I, and, and this is just an observation, and I'm, I'm contemplating this. Why don't people want to join this center? Do we make it too hard? Or people just don't, I mean, because when you join, you take ownership. This is your community. This isn't my community. I'm, this is, I'm part of this community. But I just think, isn't it interesting? We've got this budget that's been, is, is just a, wonderful. We're going to celebrate today if you come. And it's your budget. It's not my budget. You, you decide. I mean, it's the collective consciousness. But why don't people join? And typically right now, when we ask for proxies, people say, I think I'm a member. I think, I think I'm a member. I don't know. So how do we do that, and how do we get, because I think we should have a couple thousand members here. We have about 400 members right now. Last year we had about 450. So our membership goes down, and it's interesting to watch. Now, I don't know how Barb throws them out, but she throws them out. If you're not showing up in, the, in, the, in, the, in some identifiable way, way of, of support, if you're just throwing cash in the basket, we don't know. 
And if we don't see, and I think that's what Barb does, if we don't see someone supporting us financially over the year, they're out. Or if we know you haven't been around, they're gone. I don't know how she does it. We're looking at it right now, how we do membership. But, but it's really about where we, and, and then, because the next, the next principle that she talks about in here is that what, what we appreciate appreciates. And so when we say to someone, I want to stand with you, because what I'm interested in is consciousness. I'm interested in exactly what Gertrude had to say. Honey, I ain't got a lot, but I got every, I'm going to give you everything I do have. And we ask a lot. I'm just so grateful to be part of this community with you. I came here seven years ago. If you come to the AGM, we're going to talk about it and watch what's unfolding and what's happening. But it's the collective. It is the collaboration, which is the last principle today. But what we appreciate, appreciates. So why wouldn't you? If you're not a member, why would Because we don't come to your house and... Shake you upside down. But it's one way we can measure we're, do, we're making a difference in your lives. We're here to make a difference in your lives. We're here a difference, I'm here to make a difference in my life. I got my hands full with it, believe me. But, but it's just an interesting thing. And so how do we make it exciting and people want to join? Maybe, and I take responsibility for it. Because I, I think if we have 1,000 people that are supporting us, which we do, we have over 1,000 people that actually support us. I consider that there it's some form of membership. But it, there's, this formal, there's a formality we have around membership that I don't know if works for us or not in this day and age. All I know is, is that I want to continue to nurture that critical mass because I know that collectively as we collaborate, the collective consciousness is so powerful. And I'm proud of what we do. So if you aren't a member, I'd love to know why you're not a member. And what I can do, because I take responsibility for that. I, it's my responsibility as the, this, the, the leader and so there's part of me, this is how much energy do we put into this? Because I'm also not into manipulation, I'm into inspiration. And if you're not inspired, you're not going to join nothing. And I know that. So where, where can I do a better job? That's why we're going to the Windspear. I want to, you bring your family and friends, I want to inspire people. I'm thinking, I got my talk ready to go. And if it's not inspirational, and they don't walk out of there on cloud nine from the music and the message, we've missed the mark. And it's my responsibility. It's my responsibility. And I own that responsibility. Laura said to me the other day, we were talking, we were looking, and there's never a dull moment around here, I've got to tell you. And she looked at me, we were sitting at home, and she says, why would anybody ever want to do this job? <laughs> and I said, you're right, you're right. And it's not a complaint, it's just an observation. And I'm writing the book right now about it, but, yeah. but it is amazing, and it's a wonderful experience, but it is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge. When we are grounded in sufficiency, money's movement in and out of our lives feels natural. The consciousness of sufficiency. When we are grounded in sufficiency, the money that moves in and out of our lives feels natural. We can see that flow as healthy and true and allow that movement instead of being anxious about it or hoarding. In sufficiency, we recognize and celebrate money's power for good. The only reason to have money is to do good, to do good work. Our power is to do good with it, and we can experience fulfillment in directing the flow towards our highest ideals and commitments. Where our money flows, if you look at your checkbook, where your money's going, it's what, you, what you're nurturing, what's important to you. No matter how much money or how little money you have flowing through your life, when you direct that flow with soulful purpose, you feel healthy. You feel vibrant and alive when you use your money in a way that represents you, not just as a response to the market economy, but also as an expression of who you are. When you let your money move to things you care about, your life lights up, and that's what really money is for. I love that. What, and that which we appreciate, appreciates. The Buddha said this. The Buddha told his followers that whatever they choose to give their attention to, 
their love, their appreciation, their listening, and their affirmation, it would grow. It would grow in their lives and it would grow in the world. He likened one's life and the world to a garden, a garden that calls for sunlight and nourishment and water to grow. And in that garden are the seeds of compassion, forgiveness, love, commitment, courage, and all the qualities that affirm and inspire us. Alongside those seeds and in the same garden are the seeds of hatred, the seeds of prejudice, the seeds of vengeance, the seeds of violence, and all the other hurtful, destructive ways of being. These seeds and many more like them exist in the same garden. I was over at, uh, I was over having coffee with a really good friend of mine on, on uh, Thursday, and I was over at the Second Cup, and we sat down to visit, and, and uh, there was a fellow there that unfortunately found out I'm the minister here. And so while we were trying to visit, he came over and he got really close to my face and said, You teach Christ over there? Well, first he said, Excuse me, and I, I stopped him there. Because what the excuse me was, was the slap to get my attention so he could tell me. He wasn't asking, he was just telling me. And so, uh, reverting back to form that my father taught me so well as a young man, that um, I'd much rather fight than eat, um, we eventually went outside. Because it was getting too loud in there. And... Uh, it was an interesting conversation, and, and, and uh, the gentleman I was with uh, said to me, I think there's a little bit of, of there might be some, some mental illness going on. But anyway, I just said, look, uh, first of all, I want to slow you down here, because you said, excuse me, and you never were excused. You were never going to be part of the conversation, so it stops right there. And I'm here to have a coffee with my friend. I'm not here to debate theology with me, with you, or with me. But it was interesting, because uh, I thought about the world, and I thought about how easy, and I, I shared it with Laura, it was really wonderful teaching for me, because I thought about, we look at the world, we look at places of need, we look at Haiti, and we look at Chile, and we look where people are, have so little, and yet we live in such an abundant uh, space. We live in Edmonton. I mean, it's a beautiful city, and we, and we have everything I think we could possibly want here. I love, I love Edmonton. I love the size. I love the people. I love the consciousness. I mean, there's just so many things I appreciate. And yet, we, f we need something to chew on. We need something to... And so, for whatever reason, we, it's so easy to, to just say, this is what I believe, and if you don't believe it with me... Because when I went home, I realized, you know, even if I went to this man's church and read everything he read, he would still tell me I'm not doing it right. Because he was just looking for a fight. And I shared it yesterday with some folks in a 300 class. We did an all-day retreat day with the, th the practitioner students. And they said, oh, I know that guy. He's over there. He harasses us all the time, too. And I thought, now, isn't this an angel for us to be reminded, to be clear about who and what we are? But it, but, but, and, and we can do it as well in this teaching. We can decide this is right and this is the only way. We're one way. But I think when we, when we strive to live from the qualities, as the Buddhist said, when we start to nourish and water the love, the appreciation, the listening, and the affirmation. And I was, I was tired when I was over there the other day, and I wish that it had gone differently for me, because it really, it did bother me. And I, and I really was quite forceful in saying, just leave me alone. But I, and it didn't bother me so much being about, do I teach Christ here? I think we teach the purest form of Christianity there is on the planet. But I knew he wasn't going to listen to any of that. He, wasn't, he was already made up his mind. And I know that. So what's the point? Why waste my energy? The thing that bothered me the most was just the lack of respect. 
It would never occur to me to do that to anyone, to see someone in a garb that I knew. When we were at the world, Parliament of World Religion, it would never occur to me to go up and ask a Buddhist if they teach Christ or ask a Hindu if they teach Christ. It's none of my business. But the lack of respect was the thing that bothered me the most because I was really looking forward to just having a wonderful conversation with somebody that I adore. And, here came, and, then, and then when I finally told him, look, we're not having this conversation, he circled us for the rest of the conversation. So we're talking and he's walking around like this and circling with his coffee and I just thought, this is surreal. This, is, this would make a great movie one day. But the only thing I can do with it, and I realize it's a call for love. It's a, it's a call for love. And, uh, you know, whatever you, when Jesus said it, when Pontius Pilate said, Thou sayest thou art the king of the Jews. And he said, Thou sayest. Thou sayest. It's great wisdom. He knew he wasn't going to talk him out of anything. Because they had already made up their mind. He knew what was coming. Thou sayest. And I just thought, I, I was invited one time, first got here by a group, to go do... Uh, we were going to all get together in this... And this is why this... I, I need to heal this for myself. But this... Uh, inter-religious, interfaith group got together and all of a sudden it was an argument about who was more conscious and who was more holy and who was more this. I thought, guys, I didn't come here to debate theology with you. Could we do something good in the world? How about if we find a cause? Because this, this mental gymnastics is just the story we make up. I want to hang out with the ones that are building the home for the homeless, that are, that are generous beyond compare. That's what I'm interested in. It isn't about me forcing anyone to believe what I believe. I want to see good works in the world. To me, that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. So where do we direct our attention? Is it defending and, and making sure everybody thinks what we think? Or is it simply showing up and saying, how can I serve? How can I give my gift? The third, the third idea is collaboration creates prosperity. The kinds of connection that truly protect and preserve us are those that emerge from the context of sufficiency and the sharing, diversity, reciprocity, and partnership that's found there in collaboration. So I thought about it, and I left, and I thought, how could I have collaborated with this guy? I don't know. But I'm sure I could have stirred the, directed the conversation into something more productive. And if I run into him again, you know, I've got a little bit of time to process now. We'll do that. And ask him, what is it you want? What would you like to see happen? Because he wanted to know about what kind of Christian I was. And I said, well, what does that mean? You mean the kind of Christian that, like, that declares war, looking for weapons that aren't there, and goes over and kills Muslims? That kind of Christian? I mean, we can call ourselves many things. It's how we're showing up in the world. And I think that if... if and you know, Jesus wasn't a Christian. Did you know that? He wasn't a Christian. And he didn't speak English. And he didn't grow up in Nebraska. That's the problem with it. We get a little bit of information. A little bit of information and we become experts. And I shared that with him. I said, you know, your problem is you got all the answers. And I don't have any of them. I'm just showing up today to do the best I can. And to serve. But to stand in the consciousness and understand that we're here to give birth to consciousness. We're in collaboration for that. The only purpose of this community is to continue to shift and change consciousness. And consciousness is whether you, you, your, your icon is Buddha or it's a, you're a Muslim or you're an you're a, a aboriginal person, that, that that's your path or it's Christian or whatever it may be. Or, and your icon is Jesus. Whatever it is, 
It's really about the, the shifting of consciousness. How may I be, how may I serve? How may I serve? This day in a way that's, that's, that, because you know when you're serving because it's life affirming. There's a reciprocity when we give our gifts and generosity and the generosity of spirit. I, I, I feel so blessed. I am blessed. I don't feel I am blessed. I know the, the gifts of this community and the opportunity to come here and be with you and continue to do the work. I mentioned earlier, Laura looking at me and saying, why would anybody want to do this job? And it's true, but, but ministry is a call. It's a unique call. And you're, and you're sort of a hybrid. To do it, I think, to do it as, as well as you can. There's so many things that, that you, you have to sort of meld into a mosaic. And it's, it's, it's ongoing. Collaboration. And so I'm in collaboration with you and you're in collaboration with me. Collaboration becomes a circuitry through which the energy, the attention, and the resources of sufficiency flow and are continually renewed. Implicit in collaboration is the trust that says there's enough and that we'll figure out how we will use it together wisely. So if you're not a member here, you can't come to the AGM and have input. So we can't collaborate with you because there's something I think that we're giving birth to here that is, continues to be quite wonderful and powerful. And I'm excited about that. And I don't know what it's going to look like at the end, but I'll tell you what, I just keep getting guided. Things show up, this little guy over there on Thursday, I thought, well, there's a teacher. Look at me. Turned right back into my dad with him. You know? But the nice thing about it is sometimes when people come at you so forcefully, and, and that's what Chuck Pettis said to us about Barack Obama. He said, Obama's ability as a politician is, he'll, and I know that there's, you know, now he's in there and he's not changing the world like that, but he's able to rise to the energy that meets him, meet the challenge, and then, and then divert the conversation. And I think sometimes we just have to take a stand. We have to say no to people when they're, when they're being bullies. And yet we don't have to keep continuing to meet them at that energy because there's something more interesting to do. This is a surprising thing about, about collaboration and about people that give. And I think this is important to share. If there's one surprising thing waiting for me in my career as a fundraiser, it is that some of the world's greatest, most inspired philanthropists don't have much money. Some of the biggest givers don't have much money. Some do have money, great, and even gross amounts of money. But philanthropy in the United States, and it's probably true in Canada, and around the world is a, is a much a product of hardworking wage earners, everyday kinds of people, as it is a given practice of the rich and famous. According to the Giving USA annual report on philanthropy, in the year 2000, more than $200 billion was given to the nonprofit sector. And of that $200 billion, only 5% came from corporations. 7% came from foundations, and 88% came from individuals, like you and I. 88%. So the bulk of the giving and the generosity comes from individuals and those people who give 88% of the money. 75% of them make less than $150,000 a year. They come from the people. This is what I know about our community. We're going to do our AGM today, and I know that what's, what wants to, wants to happen here, if we can continue to nurture that and continue to, to, to call forth the vision... We are a vibrant spiritual community alive and awakened by personal transformation. There are tools in our lives that we can use more effectively, and money is one of those. I'm going to announce at the Windspear who we're going to give our, our gift to and the, and the Sunday that we're going to do the collection. We're not doing the collection at the Windspear and then giving the money away. And I'll tell you why, because we need to cover some of the cost of the Windspear. And it's, it's huge. It's a lot of money we're, we're putting out for this. But it's really about us standing in that integrity and, be, and doing it because we can. 
Doing it because it's the right thing to do. and be, Doing with it in collaboration and vision and possibility. That's the kind of group I want to stand with. I want to stand with people that don't have all the answers but are teachable and open and receptive because God's never done with us. We're a work in progress, and it's a wonderful thing. It's exciting to live in the mystery. It's exciting to surrender. It's exciting to, to, to do the spiritual practice, to walk, watch the things that continue to show up for us, the possibilities. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's an honor to be alive with you on this planet, and so it is.